Well, as we do every Sunday, I want to invite you to take out your Bibles to Acts chapter 22 this week. Acts chapter 22, it's about three-fourths of the way back in your Bibles, and if you didn't bring a Bible, we have black ones in the seat rack in front of you. We invite you to take one of those out. I believe it's on page 776, and you can look at it uh, with me. If you'll just mark this place, we're going to make our way eventually to Acts 22 later in the message today, and so just mark that, and we'll come back to that uh, later in the message. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series called Living Church, and we're going to be talking today and next Sunday on Easter about being baptized. And uh, some of you may say, you know what, wait, I've already been baptized. Am I, should I have braved the snow to get here? We're going to talk about how baptism, if we understand it like the early church did in the New Testament, how we can actually live uh, baptism more dynamically and practice it with greater understanding. So I'm going to talk about that. But if you're following along in the notes, here's the two things I just want to get on the table right away. First, if you uh, if you've thought about this series, what we're learning is the practices the church had. And if we will practice them like they did, we can be a living church. So here's the very first line. The church in Acts was devoted to practicing baptism. They were devoted to it. It wasn't just they did it once in a while. It was really, really important to them. They devoted themselves to practicing baptism. And probably technically it's better to say the churches in Acts because there's a number of them that were part of this. Now they devoted themselves to it, but if you're following along, here's the rub. But today, we let things stand in the way of being baptized. Today, we let things stand in the way. Sometimes the churches in the United States, we're not real devoted to it. It's the kind of thing where we may do it once in a while or the way that we teach about it makes it sound like it's an option. Makes it sound like, hey, whenever you get around to it, hey, whenever you feel like it, hey, you decide whether or not you want to be baptized. And because of that, because of that, there's a lot of things that just seem to stand in the way. Now, where do I get this idea? If you look at the very first gray box there in the notes, there's a question that an Ethiopian guy asked one of the disciples once, uh, he had just heard about Jesus and God had been working in his heart for probably some time, but he's traveling in this chariot and he and Philip come to a, a body of water and look what he says. Would you read it out loud with me? Acts 8.36. Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He asks this question, what can prevent, what can hinder my being baptized? And I wonder if you've never been baptized or if you're trying to understand if you should be baptized, what stands in the way? And the truth is, is that sometimes there's some really important things that stand in the way, things that should be taken seriously, like questions. You know, it's a process to understand so that we do things and understand them. And, and so sometimes what stands in the way of us being baptized is just good, honest questions. Some of you are here and you're, you're still on the way with Jesus. You're not even sure whether or not you believe in him yet, but you're here. And I just want to tell you, we're so glad you are. We hope that we can be the kind of church family that as you seek and search and try and figure out what you're going to do with God and Jesus and the Bible, that we can be one of those places that's a place for you to do that with help and, and compassion. But sometimes it's good, honest questions. And just so you know, on the back of the message notes, I've listed five frequently asked questions. They may be some of yours. 
Like, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? Do I have to be baptized by immersion to be a member of Cherry Hills? Do I have to be baptized in a church service? When should children be baptized? When, if ever, should I be rebaptized? Am I still welcome in this church if I don't see baptism the way you do? Those are just different questions that may be going through your mind. And I hope, again, that this message can be helpful to you. But one of the things that I, I want you to see is not only that question, what can stand in the way of my being baptized, but look at this question in the second gray box from Acts twenty-two sixteen. This is something that an older believer said to Saul, who became Paul, one of the leaders of the church, when he first met Jesus, after he had uh, been learning more about how to follow Jesus. Look at what Ananias says to Saul in Acts twenty-two sixteen. Let's read it out loud. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. That's interesting questions, aren't they? What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And now what are you waiting for? But you know, one of the things that stands in the way isn't just honest questions. Another thing that stands in the way of people being baptized is fear. It may be fear of standing in front of other people and being baptized. It may be fear of water. It may be fear of what your family would think if you were baptized. It may be fear of, you know, being out of control. It, it, it may be a lot of things. God knows us, doesn't he? And the truth is, I think all of us would admit that one of the things, more than anything else, that probably keeps us from growing in a relationship with God is fear. Other things that stand in the way sometimes are unbelief. You know, we're just not at the place yet where we believe, and so for us to be baptized, that would be, that would be hypocritical or inconsistent, wouldn't it? And so we're still trying to grapple with believing. I mentioned that earlier. I hope that we can be a church that helps you come to believe in Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in your life. And then the last one is just plain old-fashioned pride. Oh, my goodness. That is one of the things I struggle with. And I want to run my own life. I, I, wanna, I don't want to be told what to do. I, you know, just plain old-fashioned pride. So how, how do we deal with these different things? Well, here's, here's what I kind of want to serve up today. When you and I begin to understand baptism the way these early Christians did, we'll be devoted to practicing baptism the way they did. It will help us begin to say, okay, that helps me. Now I understand more of, of why they baptized with devotion and took it so seriously, and that can help. That helps. Thank you. And I, I think that as we make our way through today, my hope is that you will find yourself walking out of here and saying, that, that was helpful. That really did address some of my questions or the things that were actually standing in the way. And I want you to know that today and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about baptism. And here's what, where it's going. Next Sunday, I think for the first time maybe in our history as a church, we're going to practice baptism on Easter Sunday. And we're going to invite those of you that may decide to be baptized today, next week. You know, you, you, you tell us that you'd like to be baptized next week. We're going to baptize you. And we're also going to baptize any of our guests that come that day. We're going to invite them to be baptized. And we're going to have everything on hand so that nothing stands in the way if a person wants to follow Christ that way. And I don't know about you, but I wonder what God might do 
We just sense that we are supposed to be faithful and open and obedient. But so today I want to talk to you in a big bird's eye view of scripture. A lot of you know that a lot of times we'll, we'll come to a text and we'll just camp out in that text and talk about what it means in the Bible. Today I'm going to actually do a bird's eye view of baptism so that we're going to look at the topic itself and then next week we'll really focus in on one passage. So I want to ask if you would uh, to pray with me and then I hope that what I have to share with you about understanding baptism as they did and how we can respond to Jesus will be helpful. Let's pray. Now Lord, we want to pray in advance for what you might do this Easter in our church family and not just our church family but in this city and other churches. We pray for people both inside, outside, inside and outside of churches that you would draw us, that we might come to know you, Lord, and that we might follow you the way you want, that we would practice the things you want us to practice and that we would truly be a living church. And so, Lord, I pray for wherever people are in the room today that you would be our teacher and that you would help us, that you would open our eyes to understand things the way you help these early Christians to understand. And I pray we'll obey you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, so if you would, uh, if you're following along the notes, I hope you'll see this, that I thought about how I can uh, share this with you. The three big ideas that you can find in the New Testament of how baptism was practiced can be summed up in three words, command, form, and timing. If we understand the command, the form of baptism, and the timing of baptism the way they did, I think it will help us be able to practice baptism or understand baptism better. So here's the first one. I'll just start right off. Understanding that baptism is a command. It's a command that Jesus gave to every believer. It's a command, not a suggestion. And that, when I started understanding that, really made a difference. Look at where the command is found in Matthew 28. By the way, I've listed these out to the right in your notes. It says, then Jesus came to them. When is this? Jesus has just been crucified in the weeks before. He's been buried. He's been raised again in new life. And for the last six or seven weeks, he's been appearing to his believers and sometimes to crowds as big as 500. Now he's about to ascend into heaven on a cloud. But before he does that, he huddles up with his small band of believers, his disciples, and he says, okay, here's what I have for you. I'm going to leave this earth. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that's lived in me. He's just like me. He'll now give you the power to be my witnesses, but here you go. Here's what I want you to do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority, friends? That's a lot of authority, wouldn't you say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, not casual Christians, of all nations, baptizing them. You see that? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't just mean that you say, make sure you say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when you baptize people. It means by the authority of God three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, baptize people. And then, and teaching them to obey not just my command to baptize, but to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just a few weeks later, at Pentecost, we're going to look at this more next week, when crowds gathered because they heard the disciples declaring the wonders of God in languages that they spoke, Peter stood up to preach, and he said, this is all about Jesus. And God has made this Jesus whom you crucified 
both Lord and Christ, and he's calling you to believe in him, to change your mind and follow him. The Bible says they were cut to the heart, verse 37, and they said, what shall we do now? And Peter doesn't say, well, it doesn't matter, just as long as you trusted him by grace through faith. No, he said, be baptized. That's, that's part of what it means to trust Jesus is be baptized. He didn't say nothing. He said, be baptized. It was very clear. And you know what? All we can understand is that Peter understood. I'm to do this because Jesus told me this is a command. This is not an option. This is not, hey, when I get around to it, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to do it. It's a command. And I got to tell you, I think one of the reasons why we are not as devoted to the practice of baptism is sometimes the fault of those of us that teach. Sometimes we kind of say, you know, baptism's a, like, it's a good idea. Think about it, but we don't necessarily teach it as a command. And I just need to tell you, I got my bell rung a number of years ago when I first became a pastor on this. Some of you know I went to three or four different seminaries. and So uh, several of these, I didn't know people there. So I'd be in the cafeteria, and I feel like a seventh grader all over again, man. I didn't know a lot of these people, but eventually I'd get acquainted with them, and we'd have conversations they, from different denominations and backgrounds than I was. So they, I remember one day I was at lunch, and this guy looks at me. Eventually, his buddies later apologized because he was just really kind of like in your face. But he said to me, he said, so what do you teach about baptism? And I said, well, we strongly encourage it. And I'll never forget what this guy said next. I mean, you know, D minus for tact, but absolutely A for being accurate. He said, well, that's the difference between you and us. You encourage, we command. And I remember thinking to myself, I think somewhere along the line, I misunderstood what the marching orders from Jesus were. And I need to be more careful to say to anyone who may listen, it's a command, friends. Jesus commanded it. And so most of us go, oh, I'm not into commands. Well, that's going to be challenging with Jesus because there's some things that he says, I know what I'm asking you to do. Trust me. So here's what I want to do. For each one of these three big ideas, I kind of want to explain that if you decide to be baptized or if you've been baptized, here's honestly what they understood about baptism, okay? So here's the first one. They all start with O. Baptism is an act of loving obedience to Jesus. So if baptism is understood as a command, then when people stand in the water and are baptized, what are they saying? What will you say? What will I say if I'm baptized? Without words, what we're saying is, you commanded me to be baptized, Jesus. I will obey you. If that's what you asked me to do, I will obey you. You are now the Lord of my life. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified, he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He wasn't guilt-tripping them. He just said, look, if, if you come to a place where you love me with your heart, you won't trip over all these commands. You'll obey me. You will. If you love me, you'll obey me. And then he once said to a crowd, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I mean, where's the, where's the disconnect? If I'm Lord, then I'm Lord over you. And if I'm not, then there's a breakdown somewhere. And I remember thinking to myself, this really is a question of whether or not Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. And whether or not I'm going to obey him when he commands me. And so the early Christians, they just said right to people, hey, okay, you want to know what to do? Here's what Jesus commands you to do. 
your move. And people responded by the thousands because they understood. Their marching orders were clear as far as one of the things that Jesus was commanding them to do. Does that help? Second one is the form. The form of baptism that was practiced in the New Testament. And now let me just serve it up this way. The form was is that they understood baptism to mean to go down into, place fully under, and then come up out of the water. The form of baptism was to go down into, place fully under, and then come up out of the water. Again, the early church did not practice baptism by sprinkling as we understand it. There was very, very specific words that were used about baptism in the New Testament, as well as things that we can read by looking at the New Testament ourselves. So the very first idea here that I put in the notes is the word baptizo. Some of you have heard of this before. Maybe you didn't know this, but the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament is primarily written in Greek. That's because it was the like, worldwide language that most people could, could read in those days. And so the, the disciples wrote in Greek so it could travel throughout different nations and still be understood since Rome was in charge. They had a national language that now became worldwide. So it's written in Greek. And the Greek word, when you read the word baptize, is the word baptizo. You mind trying that with me? We'll just try a little Greek here. Baptizo. And the idea of that word is very, very clear. Everyone knew that if something had been baptizo, that it had been placed under. It was used of people that had drowned. It was used of ships that had sunk. It was used of fabric that had been dyed a completely different color by being placed under the dye. It had been baptizo. And so the idea here, if you're following along, is that baptizo, many, many cases, not just in the New Testament, but in other uh, non-biblical writings, meant to wash, to dip, to immerse. And I don't know if you know how to spell that, but it's I-M-M-E-R-S-E, immerse. I-M-M-E-R-S-E, or submerge. So the idea was is that when someone was baptized, they were placed underwater and brought back out. Very, very interesting. You know, some of us go, wow, that's kind of different. Why did they do that? What was the understanding there? And again, you may say, where do you get this? Where do you get this idea? Well, let me just try and explain and walk through several different passages besides the word baptizo. You ready? Look at Mark 1.10 on the screen. Look at what it says. Just as Jesus, this is Jesus' baptism now. Just as Jesus was coming up out of what, friends? The water. He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. John 3.23 that I've listed next to that tells us, we looked at this passage last year when we studied the Gospel of John, is that John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, was baptizing in a certain place and here's the phrase, because there was much water there. What's the implication? In other words, that a couple you know, canteens weren't going to cover it if you were just sprinkling people. That instead, what they were doing was they were literally taking people down into the water, placing them underwater. It's really hard to do that if there's only an inch thick of water. But I'm saying that this was, this was, these are clues that you see in the, in the passage. Here's a really clear one in Acts 8. 38 and 39, look at this. Now, this is the same guy, the Ethiopian official, that asked the first question we read in the gray box. He's coming back from Jerusalem. 
and he's in a chariot. So he's the treasurer of Ethiopia. Last year, when you allowed me to go to Ethiopia, Brian Schwerberg and I got a chance to teach 100 pastors this passage from Ethiopia. And oh man, it was a, it's so powerful to be in that country where this happened. But anyway, so what happened, he's coming back from Jerusalem, and God had prearranged for Philip, one of his disciples, by a prompting of the Spirit to be on a certain road so that when this chariot went by, this guy who was rich enough to have bought a scroll in Jerusalem, because they didn't have the ability to mass-produce books in those days, he had a scroll of Isaiah, and the Bible tells us in Acts 8 that he's reading this scroll of Isaiah. Where at? Isaiah 53. And it talks about the Messiah, how the Messiah would suffer. And so Philip hears this, and he runs alongside and says, by the way, do you understand what you're reading? This guy said, how could I unless someone explains it to me? This is tough to understand. And, and uh, he, you know, basically a conversation said, would you explain it to me? And the guy says, tell me, is the author of this passage talking about himself or someone else? And Philip says, he's talking about someone else. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus wanted me to meet you today. He said, come up in the chariot. And the Bible says he opened his understanding about Jesus. It must have been quite a chariot ride, huh? Bible study of his life. Well, he gets to the place where I think God had already been doing a work in his life because the Ethiopian guy goes, as we already saw, look, here's water. What's to stand in the way of me being baptized? Now look at what happens. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch, he was also an official, a treasurer, went down into the water and Philip baptized him. How did they do it? They went down into the water. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. The whole implication is they went down in the water, he was baptized, and he went on his way rejoicing, because Philip had helped him understand this is a command that Jesus has for every believer, and he says, I want to do it too. I want to get started this way, and he was baptized. Now, I was wondering, Kyle, Paul, would you mind if I used you as an example right now? I know we didn't talk beforehand, but would it be okay if you came on up? Because uh, uh, I feel Kyle, Kyle won't get mad at me. We know each other well enough. So um, uh, let me just explain. If you're following along in the notes, let me, let me explain this next one, and then I'll use Kyle as an example. Baptism is not only an act of loving obedience, but if it means to go down into the water, fully under and up out of the water, then baptism, if you're following along, is oneness with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is oneness with his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, what, what's going to happen is next week when we do baptism, right behind this curtain right here, there's kind of a, a great big fiberglass tub-like section which we'll have filled with water. And um, what happens is, is when people step down the water, do you mind if I have you step on this side? Then we usually ask them three questions. So I'd say, Kyle, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And I always ask people ahead of time if they're going to say no to let me know ahead of time. <laughs> and then I say, have you received him as your own Savior from sin and death? And then the third question is, and are you willing to let Jesus be the Lord of your life each day from now on? And after he's answered those questions, then what we would do is we'll ask people to put their hands like this. What does this remind you of when you see this? Praying, right? But it also gives us something handy to hold on to as well. But what happens is I'll say, Kyle, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ, it's a privilege to now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to drop him, 
But when we baptize by immersion, it means that we lay a person back, they go under the water, and then we bring them back out. The picture is death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. So thanks for helping me. I just wanted to make sure I, I showed that. So what's that mean? Here's what it means. When a person was baptized, immersion, the reason why it was a consistent form to practice is because it's totally in line with what we are declaring publicly. That in my own self, I could never be righteous enough before God. That all of my good works will never make me right with God. Instead, they will only make me arrogant and proud and independent of God in many ways. But instead, Jesus Christ did what none of us could do for ourselves. He bridged the gap between us and God. That God, instead of holding us responsible totally for our own sins, took his best, his very best, his one and only son, and he sent him to earth, and Jesus gave himself to die on a cross, be buried, and three days later, just as the scriptures say, rise again. That now he lives, and he lives to live inside every one of his followers. And when you and I are baptized, we step down the water and we say, by faith, God has made me one with Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection for me. Praise God. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. And that's why we clap a lot at baptism. It's because we know that we do not deserve what God has given us. But he has given it so generously. Part of what was making me choke up while we were singing earlier, I know myself. I know what I would be without Jesus. And I would be lost. But he allowed me to be one with him. And baptism is an outward expression of that new reality. And what it means, make no mistake, friends, it's not just a nice little thing. It means that we have agreed to die to the old Jeff to put, make sure that is buried with Jesus, and now to be raised to new life, where now we are raised with Jesus, and we look forward to a whole different kind of life than we ever lived before because of his goodness to us. Does that make sense? Romans 6, 3, and 4, look at what it says. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism represents being one with his death, burial, and resurrection and not trusting in our own righteousness, our own goodness, but in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one we're now one with. The third thing that they understood about baptism was not only the command and not only the form, but also the timing, the timing of how baptism was to take place. And here was the timing. They believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. What do I mean by timing? They were not baptized and then later believed. They believed first and then were baptized. One of the things you see about Jesus is that when little children were brought to him by parents, he never baptized them. If it was important for Jesus to baptize infants, he would have started that right then. 
Instead, he blessed them. And therefore, that's why we have baby dedications and not baby baptisms. I don't think there's anything wrong with baby baptisms in the sense that I think it's a beautiful ceremony anytime parents choose to want to have their kids under the grace of God. But if baptism is understand, understood to be something that saves us, if baptism takes the place of believing, then friends, that's where it goes really wrong. And so if you have been baptized as an infant, here's the problem. You didn't have anything to do with that. You didn't believe first or baptized. Therefore, what we understand from the scriptures humbly, not in a superior way, is that you need to consider being baptized as a believer. And what that may mean is a difficult decision of saying, if I'm now baptized, what am I saying to my parents? What am I saying to my background? Here's what we say here. I think that if you've been baptized as an infant by sprinkling or immersion, whatever it was, you need to say to your parents, say, thank you so much for the gift you've given me, for wanting me to be under the grace of God. But if you will, I now believe I'm supposed to be baptized as a believer in obedience to the New Testament, and I hope that you will support me because I want to reaffirm the faith you always hoped I would have. And I've watched more people if they're gentle and loving with their family, many times there's at least support that way, but sometimes it's still a big stretch, make no mistake, but this is how we've often talked to people. You can read more about that in the questions on the back, or we'd be glad to talk more with you. But this timing is they believed and were baptized. Where do I get that? If you look in Matthew 16, and then I list some passages in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 18. I don't know if you want to write these down, but if you ever want to look at it, there's passages in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 16, Acts 18, Acts 19 that give us this sequence. They believed and were baptized. Let me just give you a couple. The first is Acts 2.41. Look at this passage here. Those who believed what Peter said were what, friends? Baptized. You see that? They believed and were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Then look at Acts 18.8. But when they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were what, friends? Baptized, both men and women. And again, I could list more, but for time's sake, just know that this is the pattern in the New Testament. And it's just helpful to kind of know that, to say, you know what? One of the steps I take once I put my trust in Christ is to obey his command to be baptized as a believer. I want to be a person that's been baptized as a believer by immersion. Some of you may say, you know, Jeff, you know, do you guys think you know everything about that? No, no. And I hope I don't have a superior spirit here. If you come from a different background or you have a completely different idea, friends, there are thoughtful, loving Christians on both sides of these issues. But let me just tell you what I think, what I just showed you, what it has come to mean to me. If you look at Acts 18, verses uh, 46 through 48, I think it is, it is uh, you know what? I gave the wrong passage there, Laura. I'm sorry about that. It's, um, can we do Acts 18, 24 through 26? That was my fault. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, can you tell this guy? Man, this guy's a dynamic believer, isn't he? He spoke and taught accurately about the things concerning Jesus, though... He only knew the baptism of John, John the Baptist that prepared for Jesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, these were some really neat Christians, uh, heard him, they took him and explained to him, 
The way of God, what, what's the phrase there, friends? More accurately. Now, again, this isn't a pride thing. This isn't saying, I'm right, you're wrong. They were just saying, look, you haven't heard about this, but did you know that when Jesus came, he made it a command? It was to be in the form of immersion, and it was to be for believers only. And so he began to just teach that. And from there on, Apollos began to teach that too. As humbly as I can say this, baptism by immersion for believers is the way we understand the scriptures more accurately. And therefore, that's why we try and practice it that way. And again, that's for you to consider. I hope that it helps just to understand this. But here's the third idea. I mean, here's the third idea of baptism. Is that baptism is not only an act of loving obedience. Baptism is not only oneness with his death, burial, and resurrection. But baptism is offering myself gratefully to God. Baptism is offering myself gratefully to God. So when a person steps down in the water, if they understand what the early church did, what they're saying is this. I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to myself being in charge. I'm being buried. I'm being raised to new life. And the reason I'm being raised to new life is now I want to offer the rest of my life both here on earth and into eternity to you, Jesus. It belongs to you. You are my life. You are my Lord. Whatever you tell me to, to do, I'll do. Whatever you ask me to say, I'll say. Whatever you ask me to give, I'll give. I offer not just some things, I offer my whole self to you. This is a powerful thing when you and I begin to do this because we want to. This is a powerful thing when we begin to see our lives as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. Romans 12:1. look at what it says. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of guilt, what's it say? In view of God's mercy. Because he offered himself so fully to us, he was so merciful that way, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at Romans 6, 13 as well. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Can you imagine if we practice that? Will we be a living church? Will the world begin to say something is different about the way they understand a relationship with Jesus? No one's holding a gun to their head. They see themselves as a living offering to God every day. Wow. So... With that understanding, let me just bring it home. How do we respond? If we begin to understand that baptism, not only its command, its form, and its timing, but we also begin to understand that baptism is an act of obedience, that it is oneness with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and that it is a way of offering myself from this day on to the Lord, then what do we do? How do we respond? Well, first, let me just address those of you that may not yet be baptized as a believer. Ask yourself this question. You know, what do I do? And here's something you may want to understand. You could say this to yourself. Maybe God's saying this to you. Humble myself and be baptized. That's what it's going to probably mean for me if I'm going to obey Jesus. Is that at some point, I'm going to have to decide to trust Christ and be baptized as a believer, as a truster. And it's going to probably be humbling. That's been my experience. What keeps some people, what stands in the way, friends, is pride. Sometimes you just go, you know, 
I don't know if I want to look like that in public in front of other people, or I don't know if I want to go through the nervousness. I don't know if I want to have that hard conversation with someone. I don't know. And it's hard, isn't it? But baptism is an act of humility. I know from time to time, this is just honest truth, some people have come to me and they've trusted me and just said, you know, I'll tell you why I'm not sure I want to be baptized. I really like how my hair looks and I don't like how my hair looks when it gets wet like that and everybody would see it. And I, I want to be sensitive to that, but can I just say something? Jesus probably wanted to keep his appearance too. But on the cross, he humbled himself, the Bible says. And he exposed himself to unbelievable shame to be baptized into death for us. And I don't want to be ashamed of him and hold on to my pride. But that's the rub, isn't it? That's where the rub is. So at some point, that's your next move. There was a guy when I was a pastor out in Iowa that taught me about this in an incredible way. When he was 10 years old, he nearly drowned. So for the rest of his adult life even, he feared even getting near a bathtub. Understandable, isn't it? He started coming to our church with his family later in life. He was an adult. And he heard that our church taught this. And so he, he said, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a member of your church, not because of your church, but I, I understand that you ask people to be baptized by immersion as a believer. And that freaks me out. I said, I can only understand. Study the scriptures. Pray about this. You've you got to follow the Lord. This is not do what we say. It's his command. So this guy, I remember playing a couple rounds with him and saying, I'm still praying about this. I, I believe he wants me to be part of this church, so I'm still praying about this. The day he stood in the baptistry, friends, and I baptized that guy, I will never forget as long as I live. And as he came up out of the water, he told me later, something about the fear of water broke that day in his life. But he also said while he had resented our urging him to be baptized by immersion before, he said it was the best thing that could have ever happened because now he realized that he had to decide, do I really trust Jesus? Do I want to be his witness? Will I follow him? And he said the whole process actually challenged him to reaffirm his faith in Jesus. He humbled himself and was baptized. We have baptized people with cerebral palsy. That's no small thing for somebody that has to be worried about their lungs, but I remember a lady named Sherry that came out of the water at our old building going, ah! She was so happy that she had followed Jesus in baptism. He can help us. But what if you're already baptized as a believer? Some of you are going, Jeff, I've been kind of waiting for you to get to that. <laughs> well, here's my advice. This is what you can answer for yourself if you want. Live my baptism daily. Live my baptism if baptism means obedience, if baptism means oneness with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, if baptism means offering myself, then guess what? It's one thing to have it as an event. It's another thing to live it as a life. Years ago, there was a story of pastors that all got together, three of them in the same town, and they all had squirrels in the attics of their church. And they were trying to figure out how do we get rid of squirrels. 
And finally, one of the pastors says, here's how we got rid of the squirrels. We baptized them. <laughs> Sometimes, friends, what's happened in the church is that we see it as an event rather than the beginning of a whole new life. And you and I are called to live our baptism. My nine, our, our son, our middle son, when he was nine years old, helped me understand this. I, I didn't fully understand what I'm saying to you, so maybe this will help you. One day, he and I were in the car. His name's Luke. And we were in the car, and I was talking to him about something that he had done for somebody, kind of secretly, kind of serving them. And I said, Luke, you know, he had just been baptized a few months before. I said, Luke, why did you do that? He said, Dad, that's what baptized believers do. I remember thinking, where did you get that phrase? <laughs> baptized believers. And he said, man, that's what I understand the Bible to be saying. And he said, I want to be a baptized believer. And uh, I asked him why he wasn't cussing like some of the kids in the neighborhood were. And he says, you know, I'm learning. That's not what baptized believers do. See, he was getting it. He was understanding that for me to live my baptism is to freshly offer myself. Let's just be honest. All of us are going to stumble. All of us are going to have a difficult time. I was baptized when I was eight years old. I understood what Jesus had done for me, but I'm not sure I was born again until I was 15. Some of you know the mysteries of some of this stuff. So when I was 15, I had asked myself, should I be rebaptized? Because I understand more now, and I'm not even sure I was born again. Anyway, to make a long story short, the Lord showed me, look, you don't need to be baptized again, because like, if you did that, since you already understood and believed me when you were baptized last time, you'd be baptized a hundred more times, Jeff. I want you to now live your baptism. Live it out and offer yourself to God. And so if you see this here, it's, what do we do? Devote myself to be his living church in this world. Devote myself to be his living church in the world. Have you noticed that just like the pastors were talking about those squirrels, that once you baptize some people, they never show up again or they get disconnected from the church? Here's what's interesting. These people understood baptism as the beginning point, not the leaving point. So look at Acts 2, 41 and 42. This is what we started at several weeks ago. So those who received Peter's word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And what did they do next, friends? Did they say, see you at Christmas and Easter? No. And they devoted themselves. The word there means continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and they became God's people. And when you and I understand baptism that way, we will devote ourselves. We will obey everything he's commanded us, including being devoted to his dream for the church. And that's what they did. We will live our baptism. Last night, some of you know, Trish got a chance to go see our granddaughter this week, and so I was by myself, and I gotten everything ready for the message, and I, so I was watching a little ESPN and, and uh, kind of catching up on the NCAA tournament. And um, before I turn off the TV, I just had one of these kind of moments, I don't know if you have them, these kind of tipping point moments where all of a sudden I pushed a certain button and I knew that if I went that direction, I would expose myself, I would be watching something that would not help me grow in my relationship with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember at that point, you know, maybe it's because I'm preaching on this today and that's all the deeper my character is. But I remember that moment the Lord just prompted me, Jeff, this is a live your baptism moment. Offer yourself back to me. I'll help you. And I remember turning off the TV, turning out the lights, saying, I love you, Lord. I want to obey you. 
I'm so grateful to be one with you. I want to offer my life as imperfectly as I do it. I want to offer myself to you. Help me. And I found myself going to sleep, just enjoying the help of God. But it was living my baptism. So how do we do this? Well, if you would take out the green card that you have in your bulletin. Uh, there, this is, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, if the whole time this message has been going on, or maybe the last few months God's been saying, hey, come on, I want you to be baptized as a believer by immersion, then this card is about that. And if, this, if, we, if we could serve you next Sunday that way, if you're going to be here in town, if you're not going to be here in ne- next week, the next baptism that we have planned is June 23rd, and you could sign up for that. But what can stand in the way of you being baptized? I hope that this has helped. You can put your name and information, and you can see more there. We have boxes near each door. If you want to just slide them in the back, we'll call you this week, and we'll help you get ready. Because it's our hope that we'll be able to baptize a number of people next week if the Lord's you know, hand is leading us that way. And, uh, but back to your notes, one more thing. And that is this. And now what am I waiting for? I will follow you, Lord, and let nothing stand in the way. Whether you've been baptized or not, you can either humble yourself and be baptized or you can live your baptism. But will you say, I will follow you, Lord, and let nothing stand in the way? Out to the right there I have Matthew 3. You know, one of the things, men, that really moves me is that Jesus, at 30 years old, when he started his ministry, you know how he started his ministry publicly? He came to John the Baptist and says, baptize me. And John the Baptist says, no way. You should be baptizing me. And he said, look, let's do what God wants. Let's do what God wants. Let's do what God requires. So he baptized him. And the Bible says when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit landed on a voice from heaven. The Father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He gives me great joy. And when you and I follow the Lord like that, he cheers us on. He wants to help us. So we thought, here's how we'd close. We always have people prayer down front to pray, and we'll be standing here if we can be helpful. I hope I've talked about this in such a way that if you have lots of questions, you know we'd be very respectful of your questions. We want to really help. But watch this. These are some of the scenes from baptisms in our church as we get ready for next Easter. Watch this. So I want to ask you, if you would, to stand up. Let's pray. Before you go, let's pray for next Sunday, Easter, as well as how we walk out of here and live baptism. Now, Lord, I want to pray for those people that have not yet trusted in you, that are still on the way. I pray, oh Lord, that you will help them to know you, and you'll help them with the questions they have or the things that may be standing on the way of them following you. I pray for those that already believe in you but maybe have not yet been baptized as you want them to be, and I would just pray they'll know that and that they'll know your prompting and not guilt or some pressure from us. And then, Lord, most of all, we pray that those of us that are already believers would never forget what we've already done and now live it out every day as humbly as we possibly can. We look forward to the day we'll get a chance to be with you forever. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. God bless you.